Good evening, everyone. <laughs> As um, we highlighted this morning, uh, we really wanted to spend some time praying for Ukraine tonight. And... Uh, as I said, one of the questions that's on my mind as I keep trying to think how can we pray for Ukraine is just trying to discover from God's word. Uh, I'm kind of increasingly both skeptical and a little bit tired of hearing opinions that people say because this can be so polarizing and they seem so subjective. And I found it really encouraging just to try to dwell into the scriptures and think how, how can we pray for the situation in Ukraine? I'm, I'm I'm trying to do my best to to try to bring us some encouragement with some scriptures. And I'm not going to do an exposition on them. I simply want to to bring them to us. And then for us to actually pray some of those scriptures into the situation that that is there. So, um, first and foremost, really, I think it'd be great if we could pray. Can you see Naomi? I don't want to be in the way. So... um, Praying for unbelievers to discover God's peace. Jesus said these words in John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. Let not your heart be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. Of course, people are talking about world peace. But probably the deepest need, not just the people in the conflict, but for anyone in this world is to discover that peace that Jesus can give. So we can pray specifically into that. That would be one of the things that we can pray into. Okay, the second one is for believers. There are a lot of believers. Ukraine is the Bible belt of the Eastern Europe, really. (laughs) Really significant, massive churches and a lot of believers there. And the vast majority of the leaders, pastors, missionaries, uh, Christian organizations have stayed behind and are very active at the moment. But that's that's a difficult place to be. And again, we can pray those words from Isaiah 26.3. Just a wonderful promise. You keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Probably difficult if they were to look outside of the window, seeing those things, to have that trust in God and that mind that is stayed on him. But let's pray for them. Let's stand in the gap on their behalf and pray that those believers will know his peace. Praying for protection for them as well. Again, words from Psalm 91, verses 1 and 2, quite quite famous and quite used in this circumstance. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Again, it's a great prayer to pray that all those who are facing uncertainties and the incredible challenges that are there will discover this God that the psalmist is talking about. This God that can be their shelter, their fortress, their refuge the one that is the Almighty. Let's pray for that and pray for protection for them. Interestingly enough, the, if you remember, the, the revival at Pentecost <laughs> led to persecution. <laughs> so, uh, you know, and again, probably a scenario that, uh, that is very familiar there. And in one sense, there could be many, many questions being asked, God, what are you doing some of the churches were thriving. Some of the ministers were doing great. 
But from what I'm hearing on the ground, there's an incredible swell of opportunities for the gospel in the midst of that. And just like it was in the book of Acts, where after Pentecost, great revival, great boom in terms of the life of the church, the persecution caused them to scatter, but the scattering became a blessing because more people got to hear about Jesus. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Let's pray that even those who are scattered as refugees, who are Christians, wherever they go, they, they will be welcomed in homes that, that there may not be any Christians. Let's pray that miraculously people will become Christians through the, the witness of those who are scattered in these times. Praying for authorities. Um, first of all, then I urge that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and for all those who are in authority. This, this is, should be an ongoing mandate that we have as God's people to continually intercede for those who are put by God in, in, in a place of authority, whether we like them or don't like them. Now, I'm sure there'll be people in the room who'd be quite happy to pray in precatory psalms on some of the uh, particular characters that are involved in that, but we need to pray for them. We need to pray that God will touch their hearts and there'll be something happening in those in authority with wisdom Way beyond what we have, what me and you have, we need to pray for them. Again, probably on this, along the same lines, but a slightly different angle. Uh, uh, a wonderful verse, verse from Proverbs 21.1, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns his will, he will. Just praying for God's sovereign intervention. I don't understand <laughs> everything that is happening by any means. I just want to pray that God in his wisdom will, will get in control and will intervene in that situation. And just as a stream of water in his hand is able to be turned as he wishes, so those in authority, that their hearts would be controlled by him. And then maybe praying with eternity in, in our sight these are end times we're living in. And I think it's really important that we remember these words. It was too, too long to put on one slide. So it's Revelation chapter 21, verse 1 onwards. This is the vision that John is seeing. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of the heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the older order of things has passed away. However we pray, we must have eternity in our sight because we are a people that don't believe in just here and now. There is also that, that coming of the bridegroom that comes to meet his bride. And that will be the ultimate place where there'll be no more tears, no more crying, no mourning, no pain. Because all the old things would have passed away.
And then last but not least, again, praying for ourselves as well. You know, it's so easy at times to be diverting attention from what God is trying to do in us, in me. And sometimes he's trying to get my attention. And it's sometimes easy to deflect by just looking at others. It's often in a conversation you have with somebody and, you know, uh, you say, how are you doing? And they don't want to tell you how they're doing. And then they turn it back and they say, well, how are you doing? Uh, And we can do sometimes the same. So I think it's important to pray for ourselves. Listen to these words from Matthew 24, where Jesus talks about end times. Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah and will deceive many. You'll hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see that you're not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. And you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm till the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the whole world as a testimony to all nations that the end will come. So as we watch the things unfolding around us, let's remind ourselves of these words from Jesus about end times. Let's be vigilant and pray for ourselves that we would continue to stand and and stand on the truth and not be deceived and not be discouraged. So here are some of the ways we can pray into this. I think I was a bit more optimistic and I thought there'd be a bigger crowd and we could split into small groups. But I think we'll probably stay as we are. But it'd be just great if, if several people would just voice and pray into some of those things as we pray for Ukraine. And then I'm going to share, uh, read to you some reports and pray a little bit as well for the refugee work that is going on, in, in particularly in Romania and Moldova uh, at the moment, which is closer to my heart. And then we can pray into that as well. So let's, let's pray together. Just lift up your voice. I think we can hear quite well in here. So it'd be great to pray together. Hmm. Amen. Amen. Um, I'm, I'm going to just read you a little bit of the, the other side of it. So, so one side is, is praying, continuing to pray for Ukraine. The other side is continuing to pray for the work that is ongoing uh, with, with the huge amount of refugees. Um, and I'm going to ask, going to give you a, a head start. I'm going to ask Tom and Beth just to pray into, you know, at the end of the, the, this report that we hear, just particularly for, for that situation. And then if we can do, uh, you are good again. Uh, after that please um ian i think is going to start doing some refreshments um we we say that one of the features of our church we're, we're a family culture so obviously we're restarting evening services we're just about managing to do a rota for the morning so we kind of said in the evenings maybe just a few people can just muck in and help with making some brews and we just hang around those who want to do it because um, we're family, it's all right. So it doesn't need to be a professional kind of thing. So Ian's going to do the start. He's uh, uh, kicking it off. And if you want to help him, 
please feel free to, to, to go and, and do that. Let me read to you this report. It's, it's, it's fresh and it's from, from northern Romania. Just outside the Romanian city of Sigetuma Matie and across the black Tisa River, a caravan sits in the dark night. The glow of vehicle headlights illuminates shadowy figures, women, children, and the elderly, families fleeing Ukraine's war. Theirs is a slow, deliberate flight. The line of cars stretches 15 kilometers, about 10 miles. Some already have spent one night here waiting for the, uh, in the cold, hoping to reach Siget and safety. When they finally make their crossing, they'll find Christians ready to offer aid. Baptist and Pentecostal churches in northern Romania are working together to greet those trying to escape. And this story repeats itself at checkpoints in countries along Ukraine's western and southern borders. Less than two weeks after Russia invaded Ukraine, at least two million Ukrainians and others have fled their war-torn country, according to the United Nations. More than half have entered Poland, but hundreds of thousands are now fleeing into smaller surrounding nations as well. That trend may accelerate with a sudden Ukrainian city of Odessa bracing for a potential Russian attack. Neighboring Moldova is preparing for the possibility of an increasing number of Ukrainian refugees along their shared border. As the war continues, churches across Eastern Europe have mobilized to serve those traveling the refugee route out of Ukraine. Transforming into way stations for weary travelers, the churches have offered food, shelter, transportation, and the hope of salvation. Here are some of the snapshots from the refugee ministry from Moldova and Romania. Kishno in Moldova. As war broke out in Ukraine, Pastor Mihai Kisari of Imago Dei Church in Kishno in Moldova took a trip to Odessa in Ukraine to help evacuate a missionary friend. When they arrived at the border in Palanka, however, he quickly realized the scope of the crisis. Cars were queued. Thousands were evacuating. The Moldovan government was totally overwhelmed. Right away, Kisari returned home and rented a van. He traveled two hours back to Palanka to offer help. The first ones who made it through, he says, were people from Turkmenistan, Azerbaijan, and Iran, students and workers in Odessa. Kisari was able to transport them to Chisinau, shelter them in the church building, and where God's love was shared, I never in my life imagined my church would be half full of Muslims, Kisari says. In the early days, his church wasn't serving many ethnic Ukrainians. Instead, Imago Dei housed international students from Nigeria, Cameroon, Ethiopia, Nepal, and India. They would stay for a night or two and then travel to the next stop. Now, those coming are primarily women and children from southern Ukraine. When they arrive, Imago Dei offers them meals, clothes, and personal care products. Since there are no showers in the church building, church members have opened their homes. Kisari notes that they... When you've spent 30 hours in a car, you're obviously ready for a shower. Although most refugees stay at the church for only a short time, and despite the language barrier, Imago Dei seeks to minister to their emotional and spiritual needs. Believing moms bring their children to visit the shell-shocked families. As kids play together in the sanctuary, mothers gather to pray. The congregation also helps travelers continue their journey. Coordinating with churches throughout the region, they're able to help wayfaring strangers by connecting them with Christians in the nearby cities and countries. Together, congregations have organized corridors of travel, almost like an underground railway, providing logistical support and assistance with paperwork. But not everyone is on the move. Some have chosen to stay. 
Over the last two Sundays, Imago Day services have been packed. Now they offer translation during worship. They also developed an evangelistic pamphlet in multiple languages. It's written as a letter to a friend, sensitively addressing the evils of war. Those who are coming here are hurting. They're convinced Russia is obviously the bad guy, Kisari says. But one thing we're trying to show in a subtle way is that we all have a problem with evil and the problem is our own sin. Sigeto Mamatsie in Romania. On the Sunday morning after the war erupted, Gabriel Michnia stood before his small congregation after two hours of sleep. He'd stayed up most of the night praying for God's help to motivate his church members to respond to the flood of Ukrainians crossing the border. The pastor called his congregation to commit. It's time for us to do something for people, for people outside our church. That afternoon, Bethany Baptist Church in Sigat sprang into action. A group of men visited members' homes to collect cots, mattresses, blankets, and towels. They transformed their church basement and ultimately sanctuary into a shelter. Of the 120 refugees they housed that week, the first to arrive was a Ukrainian pastor's wife named Voya Pochiak. Voya is six months pregnant. When fighting erupted in the city of Krychovo, she fled, leaving behind her husband, who will stay and serve in Ukraine. Meanwhile, Voya is tirelessly working at Bethany Baptist now, helping to translate for and minister to her fellow refugees. Like the response of many believers in other Eastern European countries, the churches of Siget have not been simply content to receive and feed those they come. They're also providing money for fuel uh, for the refugees, helping them to find apartments in nearby cities and even arranging travel for more distant locations as Budapest or Prague. Most recently, Michnia began taking trips to Ukraine with a convoy of Christian brothers. The churches of northern Romania are coordinating efforts to deliver truckloads of donated goods, such as oil, flour, and water across the border. They've identified a network of Ukrainian pastors who can receive the items at an undisclosed location and then return to the cities throughout the Transcarpathian region to distribute them, an effort that is both humanitarian and evangelistic. What excites Michnia is how his congregation has responded to the crisis. The people of our church are truly living stones, he says. They're eager to help. They're meeting for prayer. They're giving testimony to Christ and his gospel. He's been telling them for at least two weeks, now it's the time to put into action all we've been preaching. Now is the perfect time to live our faith and do that which God is calling us to do. Whether it's a soup kitchen or a warm place to sleep, a makeshift clinic or a house of prayer, even just a temporary reprieve from life on the road, the church in Eastern Europe is becoming a crucial way station for weary refugees. It's not because these buildings offer the finest accommodation and the safe, or the safest place, but because within them are the living stones where God lives, God's people. The beauty of Christ's salvation and the new creation is displayed in those he's rescued and in those he uses to rescue others with his love. As the church fulfills its mission to be a light in the darkness, God is fulfilling his purposes to bring about salvation. Back in Romania, Mihai already sees a glimmer of hope in the darkness of these days. I've been witnessing many who are open and curious, and I can see how God is already at work. We will see a harvest. Let's pray into that.